0: This is November 9th and this is the Bruins beat on CLNS Media. Welcome into the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. hope you guys are having a great day, a great week. On this episode, you're probably saying, Evan, oh my God, this episode is much longer than most episodes you do. And I would say you're correct. You're correct. This episode is much, much longer. Or not much, much longer. Probably just much longer uh, than the normal episode I had on Kirk Ludicky this week. For the first time ever, uh, editor of New England Hockey Journal, Crazy hockey resume uh, was with the Omaha Lancers in the USHL for a while has been scouting forever, uh, covered the game forever. I mean, just a hockey guy um, and had him on to discuss the Bruins defensive issues, some offensive issues. And then it, we got into a really interesting conversation on Patrice Bergeron uh, the last probably 10 to 15 minutes of the, of the show. So it was worth it. It was very worth it. The time was worth it. This is very worth your time. Um, he gives awesome insight. He's a really smart guy. Um, and I, I really, with, he's with the New England Hockey Journal. Can't recommend it enough. Um, so he'll be someone that, let me know. I think he's someone that we should definitely uh, have on a bit more. Very interesting guy. Um, and yeah, so that is today's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. It is brought to you by our good friends over at Online, as well as Insta Dispensaries, which hopefully you guys are going and getting your free t-shirts. Come on, it's free t-shirts, or it's a penny t-shirts, excuse me. It's not free, it's for a penny. So uh, go there now. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Kirk Ludicky. And we're here with Kirk Ludicki. Kirk, how are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm great, Evan. Thanks for uh, having me.
0: Of course, of course. So for people who don't know, you are, you're not new to the market by any means, but you got a new job this year, uh, as editor of New England Hockey Journal and, uh, New York Hockey Journal. Uh, before that, you were, uh, four years of the assistant GM of the, uh, Omaha Lancers and the USHL, as well as the director of hockey ops. You've been a scout for Many, many years uh you, you've been around the game quite a while um how's it been coming back to New England with this?
1: Uh, yeah, it's awesome um, you know Omaha was a great spot, but there's not nearly as as uh, much hockey there and uh so you know there's i think i think there were i want to say seven sheets total ice in 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 Omaha proper with a few rinks outside the city city outskirts but you know, typically, if I wanted to see hockey outside of Omaha, it was drive to Minnesota or or drive two two hours and, and a quarter to Des Moines, uh, Iowa. So being here is, is great because there's always something going on at all levels. You've got the Bruins, you've got college hockey, you've got the AHL, you've got junior, you've got uh, mid-triple-A, and of course, prep season's getting ready to, to get started. And I've even been watching 07 Bantam's and uh, we just published a story on that. So, yeah, we'd love people to come to our website. Of course, it is it is a subscription-based service, but what you're getting is Bruins coverage, hockey at all levels, and the future guys in the NHL. I mean, we're spending a lot of time, myself, Jeff Cox, and our team of writers are really good, and and uh, we're peeling back the onion. We're a lot more analytical in nature. We're not giving you anything that uh, you're going to find easily out there on, on your own just in the open source. So if you're a draft Nick and you're into – really finding out what's going on with the hockey at all levels in the new England region. And even outside the region, we're looking at the top players, regardless if they, if they come in and we see them live, we're talking about them.
0: Yeah, no, I highly recommend you guys. It's, it's funny though, being out thinking of Omaha compared to, to Boston or place in, in new England. It's as you said, there's so much ice around here, but out in Omaha, there's the university of Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that right. hockey team yeah. is pretty good this year. So that, no, that that's yeah. something. Yeah, um, no
1: no question. And they play in the in the NCHC, which is a great conference. I mean you talk awesome. hockey East is a terrific conference and the Big Ten, but the NCHC, I mean you're talking you you get North Dakota in there, Minnesota Duluth, uh just uh and, and 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 then teams like Nebraska Omaha was five minutes from our arena and got to know the, the coaching staff there they're very well and uh, we've got a couple former Lancers on that team and uh yeah you wouldn't I mean I grew up uh in New Hampshire. Uh, thinking that Nebraska was, was all about corn and nothing else. I didn't realize a how cold it is, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's right down there or, or up there, I should say by South Dakota, North Dakota. So it gets really cold in Nebraska. And unlike uh, uh, New England, we don't have the mountains and the forest to cut the winds. So uh, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting, but yeah, HockeyJournal.com. com we're, uh, we're talking about everything and, you know, we had, a, had dropped a column on Patrice Bergeron most recently on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have uh, more folks coming in and checking, out, checking us out. And, uh, and I have the Rinkwise podcast as well. We just had Ben Barr, head coach at the University of Maine, and we've got a couple of really good guests, including a former Bruins prospect and star BC uh, player back in the day uh, who, who told some pretty interesting stories. So, uh, yeah, we, downloads are free, so I encourage people to listen.
0: Yeah, I love Ben Ben Barr. I knew him from my time at UMass. So uh great coach go. up at Maine. Uh, but let's dive into the Bruins stuff. Let's sure. dive into uh, there's only two games in the past six days. Now we got uh four games coming up in six. The schedule is just kind of all over the place. But uh we'll get to the Bergeron stuff later on because you had a great tweet and a great column about Bergeron, obviously, this past week. But we're going to start with some negative stuff. Why not? Get into the negative stuff. Get that hey, out of the way Boston first. Boston after all, right? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we got to do be negative a little bit. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But so there are some defensive issues with this team. I think that's very evident after the game against uh, the Maple Leafs on Saturday night. Um There's so many, it feels like there's so many little issues, but I think the big one coming out of Saturday night's game was Derek Forbert going against those top lines from Toronto. I'm interested to hear your perspective on, do you, I, I obviously, you know, it takes time to adjust to a new system, absolutely 100%. But it feels like some of the issues Forbert's having with going against top lines are stuff that might be more long-term for him. I know he's the only guy they have back there, but what do you see with a guy like Forbert?
1: So he's not playing well right now. And uh, In a perfect world, he would have come into Boston and had a seamless transition and been you know, Gray. What I would what I would say is, you know, go roll the roll the tape back to last spring when they were playing the Edmonton Oilers, and he was with the Winnipeg Jets. Did a pretty good job against the Edmonton Oilers. And last time I checked, they have a guy I don't know, number, where's ninety seven? Pretty Who good. Who's that
0: guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's all
1: right. Uh, recently, <laughs> dropped uh, some some video dropped recently with him <laughs> skating through an entire team. I think the New York Rangers <laughs> uh, to score a highlight real goal. So so again. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, uh, and I don't think number 28 would either, and and certainly Bruce Cassidy has not. Uh, He's got to be better. Um, $3 a year. Now, listen, in in the grand scheme, when you look at what the Bruins were up against, you lose Jeremy Lozon to to, to the expansion draft, Kevin Miller, albeit right-shot guy, but Kevin Miller has to retire. Uh, the, The Bruins were kind of in a situation where they haven't had a lot of uh, production out of recent drafts on the left side probably their best defensive left shot d period they traded to the new york rangers and i think we talked about that at the last game in ryan lindgren i believe it was you that brought him up Evan. it was. was good yeah so, boom <laughs> yeah so uh you know unfortunately you look at you look at matt grizlik you look at mike riley those guys are puck movers they're they are not classic defense first guys. That's not to say that they can't defend, but you we talk about in fans and in the euphemism euphemisms over the year have been shut down defensemen, stay at home defensemen. I think the stay at home defenseman doesn't really exist anymore. Uh that was kind of code for can't skate, turn style but big uh, in the old dead puck era of collecting and grabbing, they could just clamp onto you and tackle you to the ice, and, and <laughs> yes. they really didn't have to do that mobile. You you don't teams don't have room for those guys anymore. So you know it's really you know the two way or the offense minded defenseman. So now it's all about you know can you impact the game in all zones, play a lot of minutes. And really for coaches, especially someone like Bruce Cassidy, that is a very structured and detail oriented coaching, let's be face, let's face it, all of the coaches in the NHL have to be that way uh these days. And you can't really run a loosey goosey style of defensive zone structure and expect to win a lot of hockey games even in the NHL unless you have the old Edmonton Oilers uh lineup from the eighties and maybe, you know, you'll you'll probably do all right. But Might it's help. all about yeah, it's all about structure. And, uh, so a guy like, like Forbert, you know, he was brought in because he has size, he's mobile. He's really not much of a point producer as we've seen, although, you know, he, he, he was one of the first D to score a goal might have been the first, if I'm not mistaken. I, uh, I know he'd beat, uh, might have been. Mack, I think he was, he, and he, you know, he just threw the puck to, 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 to the net uh, against San Jose from the point It wasn't a highlight real goal by any stretch, but that's, that's what you what you say your deed. You really need to do from you know when they have the puck at the point. Sometimes it's just about getting shots through. And unfortunately for 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 Derek Forward in his in his his defensive game, that like that's his bread and butter, and he's really been struggling. And I think it might be a case of maybe trying to do too much, maybe understanding that he's being counted on to be that rock of Gibraltar, so to speak, on the back end on the left side. You've got Brandon Carlo. I think if you look at uh, Forbert's statistics in terms of his his five on five play, probably similar to Carlo uh, in terms of the numbers, uh, but unfortunately in a game like against he had uh, Saturday night in, in Toronto, you just get exposed because you're you're going against those high end guys and and if you you know, if you don't end a play or you're you're unable to. Get a you know get get a full possession of that puck that attempted pass and you're kind of there it's kind of like a leaky goalie for for or leaky goal for a goalie you know the shot hits the goalie and goes in It, it looks worse than if he had just been beaten cleanly and it's the same thing for a defenseman if he's got a stick in position but the puck you know hits it and hops over it or he can't control it and it bounces away and then then the opponent corrals it and puts it in the back of the net. Unfortunately, uh that D is the goat and I'm not talking about Tom Brady great time kind of goat. <laughs> different kind he's of goat. The, <laughs> different kind of goat. You know, the, the not good kind of goat. And uh and and so I think he, I think he's fighting it. And uh he's capable of infinitely more. But and I saw this online today and oh um, god goodness I am sorry about that notification. And that noise oh we didn't even hear it so
0: you're good oh okay well, <laughs> no geez. didn't hear it <laughs> all right
1: um, okay uh, so but but getting back and I saw something on on online today that I thought was good and that was Boston always has to have a whipping boy and right now when you look at that defense it's 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 28 now can he I think you asked at the beginning can he get better I think he can uh, I think he's experienced enough we we're talking about a, a player who was at one time the 14th overall selection in the draft. Big reason for that was he was uh we thought there might be some upside to him. He was kind of a late blooming guy coming out of Minnesota uh, and he's from Duluth and he was on the national team and he was big and he was rangy and and he was showing on that US national team that had some pretty good D's on having like Justin Falk and Jared Tenorti and you know, guys like that on that on that 2010 uh, Jack Campbell was was the goaltender you know was was his was his teammate on that USA team so you know it was looking like Forbert was really going to going to emerge as a as a as a legitimate two-way threat offensively defensively he always had it and just hasn't happened and so i think there's a tendency especially among fandom many fans aren't watching the games closely so they look at you know at least they're not watching the guy that was a first round pick in twenty ten who, you know, leaves the LA Kings and ends up in Winnipeg. You know, they're not watching him closely defensively. All they do is they, hey, the Bruins signed him for three million three years and you know, three per, and they look at the points and they're like, Oh, this guy, you know, what, that's an overpayment. You know, that's the you know, that was what I saw right off the bat. I'm like, oh that's an overpayment. You know what right now, yeah, it doesn't look it doesn't look good. But I think I think if you give forward time to kind of settle in he he has room to stabilize it because he really is I think a an accomplished defensive defenseman who has the ability to limit scoring chances and I think I'll be honest with you if you look at Bruce Cassidy's reaction it was pretty strong I, yeah. I don't think I'm mincing words I don't think he minced towards it and no, he that's a <laughs> that's a sign that more is expected if you are looking at a player where you know he's not he doesn't have a strong reputation as a defensive player maybe bruce cassidy is a little more well you know he's trying to find his way maybe he's a little less harsh in his assessment and so one perspective i would offer up to fans the fair minded folks cuz let's be honest the people that are you know have decided that you know 28 is 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 overpaid and he's a bum and he can't defend Nothing I say is going to convince those. He those you guys should be selling shirts
0: sports. in the pro shop, <laughs> Kirk. Don't you no, know? Right. Hey, you know, look, look,
1: everyone, look, listen. Hockey's a, you know, unfortunately, especially uh, sports in the, at the NHL level, it's a results-oriented business. And he was brought in to to play a certain role. Uh, he needs to be playing upwards of twenty minutes a night to be effective, an and effective signing for for what the Bruins expected out of him, and he, he hasn't earned that trust. And one of the things I would, would talk to players in the USHL about, especially when they were maybe tr- you know, in a similar situation and they were trying to find their identity or try to establish a bigger role, I would say to them, there's one, there's one word that matters between you and the coach, and the coach is, and that is, it's a T word and it's not teamwork. And it's trust. And that's the tr- it's, that is true at every level. Players, if you really want to be successful on any team you're on, Focus on earning your coach's trust, because if you have your coach's trust, then guess what? That means you're playing at the end of the game uh, in a tight game, one goal game, whether you're up or down. If you're a D, you're on the ice if he trusts you. If he doesn't trust you, you're not on the ice. It's as simple as that. And I think right now it's it's not a stretch to say right now. The coaches aren't as trusting in number 28. And it's a shame because he has it in him. Uh, to be trustworthy, uh, you know. I, I'll just say my one of my assistant coaches in Omaha, Colton St. Clair, was on the North Dakota, uh, you know, college team with with Forbert and spoke very highly of him as a as a defenseman, as a teammate. Um, talked about his range, talked about his heart, you know, his physicality and a hard defender, hard guy to beat, and just a really good teammate who you know, wanted to win and and wanted to fit in and and and, and put the team first. So I think Derek Forbert has, has the uh, the moxie and the makeup to be successful in Boston. Unfortunately, this is, this can be an unforgiving sports town. And, and I think if you contrast him with a, a guy like John Moore, John Moore was, has never been a top defensive presence. John Moore was always a, a guy who really had – he was a first-round pick like Forbert who uh, would really wheel and he was more of a you know move pucks and and, and skate and join the rush and offensive you know and you hope that the defense was going to be strong enough to, to to log a lot of minutes but you know hope's not a method and so they're a little different in that regard and I think if you look at Forbert, he has a chance to to stabilize it a little easier than Moore has had to do and he's been battling injuries and, and look to Moore's credit he's doing well and Providence, and he's getting a lot of positive comments uh, thrown his way by by Ryan Mugeranelle. But at the end of the day, Moore was signed to be in Boston, and he was yes. signed to be a middle. Yeah, he was. He was. He should have been on that left side. And the fact that they had to bring in a Derek Forbert in the off season is is telling, um, because again, you can't. You know, uh let's see. Matt Grizlick, Mike Riley, uh, John Moore on the left side as your, as your top three, you know, where's the, where's the defense. Right. But again, results already in business forwards, not really hasn't delivered thus far. I think he can turn it around, um, but he's going to have to get harder and he's going to have to get back. And and a lot of times coaches will say, simplify it. Just, just, just break it down. Keep it simple. Move pucks North, get end plays. That's what I'm not saying enough from him. And that is use his size and his strength to take a guy that's trying to beat him wide drive him into the wall and just end that play. He, he looks at times like he's trying to use his stick and he's reaching and he's trying to, he's trying to af- affect the poke check, maybe because he doesn't trust his mobility or maybe he's not quite comfortable in the system yet. And so he doesn't maybe trust himself. And so instead, you know, if you, if you don't fully commit to a play and, and take a guy and just absolutely pl- plaster him into the boards and you're reaching uh, these guys are so skilled. A lot of times, a, a Marner or a, or a Matthews or a, a Tavares is just gonna, you know, take the puck right around you, and now all of a sudden, you've got bigger problems.
0: Yeah, so that's the thing with a guy like Forbert. We saw this on Saturday night. There was a play on, I think it was a Matthews' goal, the first goal he scored, where he goes to poke, check the puck away from Marner, and it barely moves. And it's like, you know, that's a play where either fully commit to the guy or just, you know, put two hands on the stick and knock the puck away. And Cassidy was pretty adamant about how bad that play was. And I think it kind of hits at this whole point of, and this was something I was talking about during the offseason, Connor Ryan as well on this podcast was, you know, Maybe Forbert's more only a first pairing guy, depending on the matchup, right? If you're going against right. a smaller, shiftier team, you throw Grizzlick with McAvoy and hope that Grizzlick's shiftiness can maybe uh, stop a guy like Marner better than a Forbert could, uh, or whereas if you're playing a bigger, heavier team, Forbert goes up with McAvoy, so I think that might be the the move more, but that's tough also on all three guys to not play with the same people all the time, to be playing against, uh, you know, tough competition with a partner you ha- you're you not playing with all the time. Obviously, Grizzik and McAvoy have a very good chemistry, so I don't think that's the issue. It's more, you know, putting forward with McAvoy and having, you know, different types of things. So I think uh, maybe the matchups is the way to go because, as you said, it just feels like there's a lot of reaching and he's just kind of a turnstile out there, and that can't happen. And again, it comes down to, this was something you said to me years ago, You know, when you have a team that's bad and you look back – a few years, typically you can look back at bad drafting. Now the Bruins are not bad. I'm not saying for the Bruins listeners out there, I'm not saying yeah, the Bruins are bad.
1: bad. No, I mean, maybe not bad. Maybe bad is not the word to use, but you know, I think we, I don't think anyone is going to argue that they could be, could be more productive in, in, in their recent drafts. And it's hard, right? They're, they're, they, they don't have pick position and they don't have pick volume, but, uh, but yeah, bad, I wouldn't agree with, but at the same time, yeah, I just would, I would just contextualize it because again, nuance, sometimes nuance kind of lost on the internet. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, I'm with you. Not bad, but, but, but again, I, as I said earlier, Evan, what did I say? They haven't had the production out of the drafts. And the one guy that I think if he was wearing black and gold and he was in this lineup, things would be a lot different. And that's Ryan Lindgren.
0: Yes, and again, it's that you're there's holes down the middle, and I think people are kind of lost. You know, obviously McAvoy and Carlo hit, but not a lot on the left side on D. So really, with the draft, it's been down the middle, which we'll talk about a ton going on throughout the year, and the left side on defense, which has been tough. But a guy like Derek Forbert, you know, he might rebound. You know, it's I wouldn't say it's a super safe bet that he'll rebound, but it's a pretty good bet. But when we're talking about really good bets, we're talking about our good friends over. At Online, they're back and they're better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and hockey season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all basketball, football, and hockey action this season. Head on over to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus from basketball, football, Baseball, NHL, boxing, UFC, right up to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Again, promo code CLNS50. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. It'd be interesting if you bet on Derek, Derek Forbert, I guess. If that was like a prop bet. You know, is he going to rebound? What's his I would bet be? on him.
1: Yeah, you could, I think, be I all think right.
0: that'd be good odds bet.
1: <laughs> I think he'll be all right. I mean, again, you're you're you got to remember he's he's good. He's his foundation is his defensive game. I think his confidence is 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 the issue, and he's adjusting it. And in a perfect world, you know, everyone expects guys just come in and pick everything up right away, uh, and 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 that's not happening. And, and and you know, the team is is not settled up front either. We've had they, they were, the Bruins have had injuries, and you know, Nick Felino's out, and and uh, I know we're going to talk a, a little bit about the forwards here soon. So I would just leave it at that. I, I if I if I had to guess, because again I go back and I look at some of the the analytics and the in the statistical analysis, and he's not that far off from Brandon Carlo. It's just unfortunately for him, he's been exposed on a few really tough plays, and the puck's gone in the net, and the, you know the coaches is is talking about it and so that spotlight when it shines on you man it's 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 bright and the heat is on as as we would play in omaha the heat is on Derek forward but i think he i think he's uh i think he, he has a good chance of bouncing back and turning around
0: and in boston that's mag that heat is magnified by uh 30 uh, to 40 <laughs> oh, yeah. percent uh but Yes, but anyways, on off- the offensive side of things, you mentioned getting to the offensive side, so we'll we'll dive into that. That also has not been as positive, not as negative as maybe the defensive game has been, but uh, it's funny. Ty Anderson wrote uh, for 98.5 The Sports Hub this week, or it was after uh, the game against the Maple Leafs. He said, a not-so-fun fact for you. The Bruins are one of two teams in the NHL to have at least five shooters with at least 14 shots but zero goals. The other... The Chicago Blackhawks, who he refers to as the Chernobyl Blackhawks right now. Uh, you just don't want to yeah. breathe the same air. Uh they are right now. But uh the Bruins right now have uh five guys. Trent Frederick, Eric Halla, Craig Smith, Matt uh Matt Krizzik, and Brandon Carlo. Obviously, Carlo's not a goal scorer, but it is odd that nine games in Grizzlick has zero points. Um but there are guys, you know, Eric Holla feels snake bitten. Craig Smith obviously was you missed some time, but his production hasn't been there when he's been in the lineup, even though it's probably safe to assume he's battling some sort of injury. So offensively, it feels like outside, even with the top line guys, you know, obviously Pasternak, the Bruins are waiting to get going. Bergeron had four goals the other night, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, But it feels like after that line, which is, a, I guess, a tale as old as time. <laughs> after that first line, the depth scoring is having trouble. Um wh- What needs to switch? What needs to change for those middle six and even the, Fourth line, what needs to change for those guys?
1: They got to keep pounding the rock. They just have to keep skating hard and 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 getting puck. The biggest thing is just get shots to the net uh, when when a when a when a shooter's quote unquote snake bit, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of factors to that. And, and one of the questions, you know, what you look at it, is he getting any scoring chances? Where are you are they getting quality scoring chances? And in Hollis's case, he's had a couple of really nice chances. just hasn't gone in. So law of averages says eventually it's going to go in now. Is it going go to go into the level that the Bruins were hoping? I mean, he had a really nice preseason and that's, I think, part of the frustration that Hollis is, is probably feeling and he's, and he's, Again, they're human beings in a perfect world. What he was doing in the in the preseason exhibition schedule would have carried right over. I mean, he did have a really nice assist on Jake DeBrusque's game-winning goal in game one, but that's been it. But he's had some nice plays. The one that comes to mind is when Taylor Hall set him up and he went right to the front and just, you know, it was a great save, unfortunately. Otherwise, that would have been a very nice first goal as a Bruin. But well, make no mistake, he's got to be better. Craig Smith's got to be better. Uh, one of the things Craig Smith did last year is he got off to a pretty good start and, you know Bruce Cassidy was talking about how he was able to move him up the lineup pretty quickly and he was playing with Bergeron at one point and eventually settled in on that second line with Krejci Craig, because he just he was productive and he was making play and there was a time when he got really hot uh, but it was volume shots it was it was being around the net buzzing the tower as they say and, and and just working pucks to the net and eventually if you do that enough your shots are going to go in it's when when you're not getting many shots or you're not able to get to the net for whatever reason or you, know, you just don't have any puck luck it all just kind of snowballs and, and compounds and so you know trent frederick i mean he was not drafted to be a, a, a top scorer
0: but you Speaking just Draft issues that they've had in the past. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of I mean, one.
1: I mean, you know, they, 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 I, I look, he's a, he was a great athlete. He was tough. He's big. I think they were looking at, at him as, as a, as a player who uh, was going to do some things. You know, at the time people forget they had not yet even signed David Backus. Uh, they were a few, that was the year that they signed David Backus in free agency. So there was a definite move afoot for the Bruins to get bigger,
0: stronger, heavier.
1: And, and they had totally. just traded
0: Lucic, correct, the year before. So they were kind of correct. missing that. They thought that, and that was at the tail end of when you really needed a power forward. So I think right. that was because they traded Lucic in the summer of 15, and then that was correct. the summer of 16.
1: Yes. So at the time, I remember interviewing Trent Frederick in Buffalo, which is where the draft was held. And he was talking about his hero growing up. His, his hockey idol was David Bacchus because he's a St. Louis kid. And so just a matter of days later, Bacchus was signed. Now, it didn't work out. I think Charlie Coyle has been what the Bruins were hoping David Backus was going to be. Uh, and he, you know, I, I want to say, I want to give Coyle some credit because you know he's gotten off to a pretty decent start offensively is that you know, on that second line. I mean, he's not tearing it up, but he's at least scoring and providing some consistent offense and showing some, some, some chemistry with Taylor Hall. Can you imagine, you think the Pitchfork brigade in Boston <laughs> is after Derek Forber? Yeah, and you imagine if, if Charlie Coyle was goose eggs, what, what would be going on right now? So to his credit, I mean, he's, you know, he, I think he's, he's in a much better points per game pace than he was a year ago. He looks, I think that, that surgery did, did wonders for him. And he's, he's, he's that heavy guy. And I don't, I don't know that Charlie Coyle is ever, he's not really a classic second line center. Um, he's more of a middle of the roster guy who's just great character and tough to play against than heavy, but, uh, but I will say this for him, he's, he's filling in that role, very tough, very big pair of skates to fill. He's doing it admirably, all things considered. It's the thing with Charlie is he's going to have to keep it up because it, you know, if he goes long stretches without, you know, putting up some points in production and that, that second line stalls, I mean, then again, the, the, the critics and the, and the focus is going to shift. And, and so, uh. Yeah, I think Craig Smith and 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 Eric Haller really are the guys that more than anything really need to get that secondary scoring going because expectations wise Trent Fredericks just not expected. Like if he scores it's a it's bonus time, you know. He's a fourth line guy, he's tough, he's hard to play against, but uh he's not he's not going to ever score 30 goals in the NHL. Uh he might be lucky to have 20 in his career to be honest with you. So um, and that's probably unfair. I think he's a better player than that. But right now, it's all about you know, getting, getting balance. You want balance out of your roster. You can't afford to, to, to continue to have just the same couple of guys or the same line producing night in and night out because teams are just too good. They're going to watch the video and the film. They're going to adjust. They're going to get the match, especially on the road. You know, At home, coaches have a big advantage with that last line change. You know they can they can generate really good coaches and, and and Bruce Cassidy is one can generate really nice favorable matchups i mean what's boston's record at home
0: oh god putting me on the spot here uh they have it's better than
1: on the road right
0: well much they, better yes they've, they've yes. won
1: all their games or they haven't lost i was gonna say it's home. it's all
0: the games right they haven't lost a game exactly. yet there.
1: right so you know again that set, that last line change right when you can see who your opponent puts out and then you can match and you can create favorable matchups. I mean, there's that, that can really have, you know, that home ice can, advantage can loom large. Now on the road, you have to put out your, your guys first. And then that, that team can adjust to you. And so right now Uh the way you break those, those matchup challenges on the road is you have a balanced lineup and you're getting production from everyone, to, you know, top to bottom. And that's just not happening right now. So I think, you know, the Bruins are definitely going to have to, they're going to have to, to to buckle down. And I think, you know, in Halla's case, it's not for a lack of effort. He's just, you know, it's not for a lack of opportunities. It's just it's not going in. But he's better than that. We certainly saw it.
0: Yeah, it's funny, though, because, like, I think with this team, with Krejci being gone and the money going towards depth guys, right, Halla, and Nosek and Felino and obviously Foligno's been hurt, you know, you, you have to get more, you, you know, you're not going to get 70 points out of coil we know that but you need the depth scoring right you need the third line to be scoring you need the fourth line to chip in a bit and the second line to still kind of tread water and then you'll be fine that's also kind of a good thing in a way to be more spread out right because we've seen so many times over the past few years this Bruins team gets shut down in the playoffs somehow because someone just shuts down the top line and then the other lines don't really pitch in so yes offensively things need to be a lot better but somewhere that things we're pretty good over these past, uh, well, really just, uh, against, uh, the Red Wings on, uh, Thursday night was Patrice Bergeron. Four goals, incredible. Uh, all three of the four being power play goals. It was sort of a revitalization, um, uh, of just, uh, of the power play and Bergeron. And you tweeted this did very well on Twitter. 800 likes. That's never something to sneeze at. You can't be mad at that. I'll take it. Um, on, the, on, You said on the train home after the game last night. Couldn't help but think about what Patrice Bergeron has accomplished for this franchise. 36 years old and a four-goal game, something he didn't do at 24 or 25. Like Tom Brady, enjoy every moment because when he's gone, won't see another like 37. And then you nail it at the end because you won't see another like Patrice Bergeron. I think that's something that a lot of people are sort of figuring out because when you look at the Bruins over the past 10 to 15 years, there's been a lot of players you might not see again. You're not going to see another Zidane O'Chara. 6'9", you know, dominant both ends for as long as he was. Not really going to see someone like that. Tuka Rask, another guy. I mean, you're, you'll see really good goalies, but it's hard to lock, and you know this, it's really hard to lock down yeah. a, as consistent and as good a goalie as Tuka Rask for years and years, even a guy like David Krejci, you know, you're going to have good other centers, but it's hard as, as the Bruins have demonstrated over the past few years to develop a really good, you know, patient center like Krejci and Bergeron's on another level, right? Because the leadership and everything he brings. And I think it just goes to show people should really kind of appreciate what's going on now, live in the moment a bit, because as you said, ain't nobody like Bergeron and they're probably won't be again. So I think you nailed it with that. I mean, it, where does he rank in sort of the guys that you've watched and, and, and uh, understood in a sense? I mean, where where is he on that list? I feel like probably at the top. He's one of the
1: greatest <laughs> of all time. Uh, and, and again, he's a, he's a classic example of you don't have to have 80, 90, 100 points to be a, a Hall of Fame hockey player uh, because he's just such a... Quality player in all all facets of the game, and he's the he's the classic case of just a winning hockey player, and how how important that is. And it, you know, it, it starts with his maturity and his seriousness. Um, I had I had the opportunity; really, it was it was it changed my career as a as a writer and, and covering the Bruins. But I was at his hotel and when he was drafted, and I had a chance to sit down with him. You know, and the day, and that was in the old days when you didn't have a Friday night draft. The draft was Saturday and Sunday, and I think it was rounds one to three were on on Saturday, and then rounds four to nine was a nine round draft back then. Uh, After the lockout in in two thousand five, they 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 shortened it down to seven rounds. But so I had it. He was drafted in the second round, and and he was rated pretty high. He was rated as a first rounder by Central Scouting, but. Because he played in that backwater in Bathurst, uh, a lot of people didn't know about him. He wasn't a flashy, dynamic player. Uh, you know, put up good points, but he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't expected to be uh, uh, just a. You know, he 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 was rated high because he did so many things well. And I think those scouts that were putting him on the central list. I want to say he was twenty-eight, something like that um I, you know which is good like that's that's yes, a solid second that's round selection <laughs> it's not like he was uh you know came out of nowhere but those the, the people that had a chance to see him knew what he could be because he was so smart but he worked so hard and he was so serious and what i remember about him there's this myth out there that he didn't speak english and he's kind of kind of propagated this a little bit i think what, he, what he's trying to say is he didn't speak english as well as he as he does you know and he certainly had a really thick thick French accent when I met him, but he was 17 years old. And I, I think that that the interview I had with him that day and the conversation I had, because when I turned the, the recorder off, that was when I really learned about Patrice Bergeron um, because he, re, you know, I, I got to see how real he was. And, and I was just, I was just really taken aback by just his maturity and, 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 and how serious he was. And, and it wasn't like he was saying things like, Hey, I'm going to go make the Bruins at 18 and i'm not going to sit here and say i knew he was going to do that and that he was a future hall of fame player but i figured he was going to be something because he was so unlike most of the typical teenagers i had i had talked to in the, in my draft coverage up until that point and even since and you know he had already hired uh, a strength and conditioning coach he had hired a skating coach because he knew his his skating was subpar uh, he was getting stronger and he understood that you know with him he's not he wasn't overly tall so he had to have that strong core i think what keeps 18 uh, year olds typically from reaching the nhl is not that they're not not able to skate or they're skilled enough it's that they're not strong enough and teams are concerned see that with well. a guy
0: like jack Hughes.
1: exactly right and and you know it's an 82 game season and teams are they, you know they're if if they're drafted a kid in the first round Especially, you know, uh, higher, higher up, they they have a really important investment in that in that player, and so what they don't want to do is, just, you know, ruin their investment by either you know, rushing him too soon and getting him hurt and, and destroying his confidence, or any myriad things that could happen if if you have an 18 year old in the NHL. Uh, and so for a kid like Bergeron to make it as a second rounder, he, he obviously had to, to to demonstrate that he had the ability. But I think one of the things that really helped him was his maturity, his focus, his intelligence. And then ultimately he, he was a strong, thick core, you know, he would, you know, guys would try to hit him and blow him up and he would just absorb hits. And and he was so smart. He would, a lot of times wasn't in position to take a direct, you know, big body hit. And these guys, I was talking about these quote unquote, shutdown, stay at home defensemen. uh, He made, he made, you know, snacks out of those guys because he was just a lot smarter and he wouldn't, allow himself to get into that situation where they could could physically manhandle him he stayed out of away from their reach and he used his own vision and and instincts to make plays against guys like that and then it just as he went on he got he got more experienced and we're we're so fortunate to witness Patrice Bergeron's career in Boston because it almost didn't happen when he got hit from behind by Randy Jones uh there were there, there was talk that he might not ever be the same player he might not be you know and, and he was one hit away from from oblivion and 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 let's be honest it, it that hasn't changed i mean he's he's suffered you know a traumatic brain injury and 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 that stuff always you know it stays in the back of your mind but what he's been able to do in his career since 2008 when he, in, it was late 2007 when he took the hit uh, he's he's learned to protect himself better, and just again his his experience and his awareness has allowed him to play a, a a smart brand of hockey to where he's not necessarily in those positions to where an opponent could 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 you know put him in a situation where he, he you know, his career might end. But that's a credit to Bergeron. And it takes it takes skill, it takes intelligence, and, and it takes luck. But the, what Boston fans have gotten out of him you know, in the, let's say 13 years since that happened is just uh it's a treat. And you're, and I say you're not going to see him again because the way he's wired and just his personality, like, and I, and I had it in my column, but I'll share the story and it came from his, his agent Kent Hughes. When he was 18 years old and he was in the, on the Bruins, he understood that he was doing things that took so much out of him that he, he had to rest. And so he was sleeping upwards of 12 or 13 hours a day um, because it was such a. But but again, you have to understand a lot of these younger kids these days, what are they? They're not sleeping 12 or 13 hours. They're playing video games. They're they're not. (laughs) Right. And they're doing, you know, and this was this was this was a player that was in the NHL at 18 who said, hey, I have got to get rest because what I'm doing demands that I be at my peak level of conditioning. He knew that as an 18 year old. So no one should be surprised at age thirty six. He's a lot and I and I and I told Bruce Cassidy when I asked the question, I said I hesitate to go here and, and, and invoke the Tom Brady comparison. But I see similarities between Bergeron and Brady, and I, I really do, in terms of how they've been better in their thirties than their twenties. And in Brady's case, he's my goodness, he's forty-four. And doing what he's doing, right? Yeah. So he's out of his 30s, right? Yeah. But, yeah. If you look at Brady, like, he put up his hall, he, he established his Hall of Fame statistical credentials in his 30s, not his 20s. I mean, he won the Super Bowls, you know, he won three Super Bowls in his 20s, but, you know, it was just, it was just, it was 2007 when he was a 30 year old that he had his 50 touchdown season. You know, he, he and also, he, he's
0: had a whole another Hall of Fame career in his late 30s and 40s, which is quiet.
1: Yeah. But that gets back to the similarities between between Bergeron and Brady are that they take phenomenal care of themselves and they're, they're, their bodies are in the best possible shape. And I think being around Zdeno Chara helped them. I think being around Mark Recky helped them because Recky played into his 40s. And Recky wasn't a a, a a machine in terms of his conditioning and his, and his fitness and, and, and what he was eating necessarily, but he understood what he had to do. And every year he was ready to go. He was always prepared. And uh, you know, again, Hall of Fame career and, and, and won a Stanley Cup going away with the with, with the Boston Bruins. But those kind of role models I think really reinforced what Bergeron already, already had. And then you add what Bruce Cassidy said is, is the best the the most important aspect that Brady and Bergeron have in common. And that's their they're like genius level IQ because yes. it <laughs> pertains to their sport, you know their vision, their instincts, their 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 ability to look at what's going on, in process instantly, and that's why Bergeron has four Sulky trophies. This guy should not have force. If you look, he's he's a he is an average at best skater. Okay. Oh, one hundred percent. He's not. One hundred percent. He's not big book. But, but why has he been among the greatest defensive players of all time? And and I you know I watched Bob Gainey growing up and. Yeah, I've got a little bias, and I wasn't, you know, as a, as a Bruins fan growing up, I didn't have much love for the Habs, but but Bergeron is just, again, his, his ability to win draws and, and face-offs, his ability to kill penalties and to anticipate and, uh, and, and know and be where the puck is going to go and, and just make plays consistently over all 200 feet of the ice, that's what makes him special. So uh, it's been a real it's been a real pleasure to see him. I I grew up watching a guy named Donnie Marcotte when I was a kid, and I thought Donnie Marcotte was pretty darn good. And when I first when when I was watching, not initially, because Bergeron he started out like and he had a he had a couple seventy point seasons, and people were thinking, man, you know, he's gonna he's gonna go to ninety or a hundred here.
0: Yeah. Oh five oh six, he had seventy three. Oh 07, he had seventy. And then he didn't come, he didn't hit 70 again until he was 33 years old, just a few years ago.
1: Right. And that was the, you know, he, he, when that concussion, I think, and I think he re kind of reinvented himself a little bit, just in terms of his focus of what he needed to do to, you know, coming out of that concussion and, you know, the the team wasn't necessarily asking him to score because of other players. And David Krejci was a guy that kind of emerged as that, that more of that irregular playmaking point, point guy uh, at that time Uh, but but with with Bergeron I think I was saying around 2009 2010 I was like "Ah, you know he's kind of like Marcotte and looking back on it that was ridiculous because he's so he's so much more you know you know in terms of defensively offensively and, and the kind of impact and I'm not taking anything away from Don Marcotte I I thought for Bergeron to be a pretty you know even being mentioned in the same breath as Donnie Marcotte. That was a, that was a pretty nice compliment, but to see what he's been able to do, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it's inspired a whole generation of Bruins fans. And a lot of the young players when I would, that were from Boston, when I would interview him for the draft, uh, he was always their favorite player. Now I'm noticing that Brad Marchand is the guy that's getting a lot of love and David Posternock. Like when you, when you, when you talk to these younger draft eligible guys, uh, you know, there are coming up and comers. More guys are kind of shifting to Marshawn and, and, and pasta and that's fine. Um, but for a long time here, over the last 10 years or so, it was always, it was Bergeron, Bergeron, Bergeron. And that's not an accident. He just plays the right way.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And I think I'm going to ask you the million do- to end the show. I'm going to ask you the million sure. dollar question. But before we get to the million dollar question, the question I'm, a- I'm going to ask you is a little gets people a little scared, right? You know, you need to chill out a bit. So to help chill out, When I ask such tough questions, let's talk about cannabis specifically. Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensary, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting that it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in even if just to learn more. These places are very fun uh, and very cool to go inside. The staff are authorities on the science Who answer every question from differences between flowers and concentrates to offerings for insomnia, anxiety, or just a good time to hang out with friends. INSA has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing. The INSA founders are not these guys from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from beautiful Springfield, Massachusetts. So there's another local team to root for and that is INSA in Salem, East Hampton. Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just off I-91, beside the MGM Casino. Mention that we at Beat said to stop by, and you will get a sweet t-shirt for a penny. For one penny, you get a cool t-shirt. I wear them all the time. They sent a bunch to me. I love them. Go to insa.com or 877-500-INSA. Again, 877-500-INSA. Say we sent you, and enjoy the great t-shirt and enjoy the great time that you will have there. So the million dollar question, Kirk, what is the future of Patrice Bergeron? Where does he go obviously the contract ends this year. He says, he's going to see how he feels at the end of the year. That typically doesn't always mean good things. In your uh, expert opinion, where do you think or what do you think happens to him after this year?
1: Well, it's probably my inexpert opinion because I had the David Krejci thing totally wrong. Oh, uh, that's uh, no again, big I deal. Stand, I, no, I stand, <laughs> I stand by it like, like it, things were gone, and I, I should have never gone out with that. I got, got over my skis there. But, you know, you live and you learn. Um, yeah, It's hard to say. He, uh, Bergeron is wired differently than most. I think family really matters to him. And uh, he's at that he's at that stage of his career where his kids are are younger and and getting older and getting to that stage where they're going to be more involved in hockey sports. I mean, we assume they're going to be hockey players, and uh, you know that might be a bad assumption. But you know, as he, he goes on, you know, he's not he's not driven the way the same way Tom Brady is. You know, like he's not motivated by snubs and slights and people doubting him, like. He's always that's a, another great thing about Bergeron that I didn't mention is he's always been really comfortable in his own skin. Um He's 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 perfectly fine just going out and playing and winning games and winning gold Olympic gold medals and world championships and world junior championships and Stanley Cups. and And, and, and for him, he's not it's not like he's he's out against the world to show everyone that they were wrong, because I don't think he ever really felt like he was doubted in the first place. I think he was thrilled to be drafted by the Bruins in the second round and he's just he's different in that regard. So I don't see him playing until he's 40, 41, 42. I could be wrong, but I think he's he's probably going to be, you know, he's he's probably going to be more leaning to, to the path of, hey, I need it's time to it's time to take care of my family. What more really do I have to prove? He doesn't have to prove anything walk away from the game tomorrow and he'd still be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, And, you know, he's closing in on a thousand points, but, you know, again, David Krejci was closing in on a thousand games. And I thought for sure he would see it through. He'd get to that thousand game NHL milestone and then, and then walk away and he didn't. So these guys are motivated, motivated by different things. I could certainly see, you know, when Patrice and, and I, and I really believe he'll probably finish his career with the Bruins, how much longer it'll be. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. That's up to him. And, and I'm going to respect his wishes to where he said he didn't want to get into it. And I'm going to respect him by not speculating what he's going to do. I will just say that when he walks away, you know, he's going to do it because it's the time's right and he has a chance to be his family. And I don't think, I don't see him jumping into a, an NHL job right away, for example. I could see him being kind of like what Ray Bork did and coaching his kids. And, Taking time to to reconnect with his family and kind of stay closer to home. I think he could absolutely be involved in the game at a high level at some point, whenever he wants to. And, and um, you know, whether it's a coach, whether it's a general manager, or whether it's something like that, he certainly has the intelligence. But I don't know if that's the kind of stuff that really, really matters to him. At the end of the day, uh, he's he's just different than than some of the some of the the people out there, and that I think he. He's probably going to prioritize his personal life and, and, and building relationships that he's not been able to, to to have the same kind of time and energy and effort into because of the, the, the schedule of a professional hockey player and the demands and, and being away from home. I could just see that being his number one priority. And you know what? Uh, I think whatever Patrice Bergeron does, he's going to kill it just like he did in his NHL career because that's just how he is.
0: Oh, 100%. And also, I think people... Sometimes forget, you know. Yes, he is 36, but he's been in the league for 18 seasons. That's a yeah. lot of miles. 18 would have been seasons, more. 18 full would have been seasons.
1: More, if not for the lockout, right? He would have been 19. It would, would, yep, it would, it would the have the been 19. 19. Be 19. Be
0: 19. So you can you can add another to that if you want to. So I mean, he's been around for a long time, and I think people sometimes forget that. And they, you know, obviously there's so many examples around here of people playing into their 40s with Brady and Char, and even like Mark recce back in the day. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think there's a lot of options with him. Uh, my theory on it has been if he's, if he, you know, has a lot of injuries this year, he might call it quits at the end. Uh, but I think either way, I think he's, if he stays, I think he's signing one year deal, one year deals type things or two year deals, short term stuff to sort of evaluate at the end of every year. But we will see when the time comes, whenever it does, Bruins fans will all be very, very sad as they should be. I mean, a guy like Bergeron doesn't pop up all the time. Uh, Kirk, before you go, Uh, you mentioned at the beginning, uh, you know, what you guys do, uh, what, what else would you like to plug, uh, that you guys do that the people should be on the lookout for?
1: Well, I mean... Again, ho- HockeyJournal.com, dot com. We're covering hockey at all levels, and so we're we're building. A, you know, I'm, on, I'm on your podcast. I appreciate it. We're building our pod. But the, the the goal of our podcast, uh, Rinkwise, New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast, is to to help players and parents and coaches and really people, you know, whether you're fans or, or, or you're just connected to the game, interested, give them kind of a roadmap. And so I'm ta- having serious discussions with serious hockey people about their journey like what they did what you know how did they how did they do it and uh you know had a great podcast episode with Bobby farnham for example who you know from from uh, North Andover who just uh really you know he was a he was a, a prep player who went right to Brown and just battled his ing- and 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 grinded and, and got his way to the NHL and he was in a in a in the locker room with Sidney Crosby and evgeny Malkin and uh yeah <laughs> You know, he said hey, great, great Bobby story. <laughs> Yeah, not too bad. He said, you know, he said there should be a should have been a sign in the in the Penguins room that said, We win a lot of games here. And, and you know, and, and I just those kinds of insights are, are, are priceless. They're invaluable and, and again, I'm trying to just build up the uh, reputation of the of the podcast and you know, New England Hockey Journal. That's what we're really about. We're about giving people insights that they're not necessarily gonna get anyone out. Anywhere else, but to really kind of help them see what a possible roadmap could be uh in their own process, whether they're gonna, you know, go on to be Division one players, whether they're gonna maybe play D three uh you know future pro careers, or whether they're just gonna be good prep players or town players, but they just love the game and they wanna be as successful as possible. And so that's what we're here for. We wanna inform uh, we want to inspire and we want to give insights that, you know, we know you have to subscribe here. You don't have open access to everything we offer without, you know, without, uh, subscribing, but we really feel like our product's worth it. And our team of writers are, are on top of their game. And, uh, you know, the more the merrier, we'd love to have you, you join us and give us a shot.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, and nobody does insight like you, my friend. So, uh, thank you again for Appreciate joining that. For CLNS Media, I'm Evan Marinofsky. You BrewersBee listeners, have a great rest. Have your week!